0: said we want to welcome all of our guests both in the house and online thank you for being with us today we'd love to have an opportunity to get to know you I'll be in the very back uh, by a sign that says next steps and I would love to talk with with any of you about uh, next steps in your journey with us I would love to help you know a little bit more about our church and what we're striving to do not only in this local community but but in the world And speaking of what we're doing in the world, um, I want to talk for just a moment with uh, Landon Rader. Landon uh, has um, recently uh, sort of assumed the role of leading our missions effort, and the last Sunday of this month is our um, quarterly vision offering, and so a a lot of times we wonder, well, what? When we give on that day, what sorts of things are we supporting? Are we funding? And one of the big efforts we're funding is the work that we're going to be doing. Uh, in in Mexico we've been doing for a while in in Baja so uh, Landon tell us a little bit about our trip uh, several of us are leaving uh, this coming Saturday how many of us are going by the way? There'll
1: be 12 of us leaving on Saturday we'll be flying out real early in the morning and taking a bus drive out of San Diego south down the peninsula a little bit. What will what we'll we be doing that week? So we have a congregation there that we've been supporting since about 2018 and uh, last year we put a, a chain link fence around the property And as soon as we got done with that, the preacher said, so when are we going to get a playground? So this year, we're going to be going down, we're going to be putting up a playground for the kids to play on around the church building. We're also going to be building a 12 by 16 house for one of the older members. And um, we'll also be, you'll be preaching some, right? You're, that's you're right. Yeah, be, okay. Plan on it. Plan, looking forward I'll to it. I'll give you one night break. I'll preach one night. Okay. You do the rest. All right. And uh, meanwhile, the rest of the group will be doing a, a kind of a VBS with the kids.
0: Yeah, that, that's exciting. I mean, i you know, uh, I, how, let me ask this question. How can we, how can our church, how can we best support... Uh, Baha missions, and in particular our church in prayer, what's one or two things we should be praying for?
1: Um, pray for safe travels. That's always an easy thing. But pray for the folks down there who are in a, in a completely different world than we are, faced with a lot of different struggles than we yep. are. Uh, we don't worry about where our food comes from most of the time. Yes, uh, They do. They, they've got to think, what am I going to choose to spend my money on so that I can eat? So yeah. pray for the folks down there okay. that they won't grow weary in just yes. everyday life and, and still seek him.
0: Yeah, well, hey, I want to say thank you so much for the great leadership uh, with regard to our missions. And, uh, I, and I'm excited on the 30th about giving. And one of the things we'll be giving toward is this wonderful so mission where we're making a tangible difference. Thank you so much. Let's show Landon a round of applause. <laughs> Give him a round of applause. <laughs> so, you've heard the statement a picture is worth a thousand words. And I saw this picture uh, not long ago. Here is a lot of folks, this picture was taken in 1936, and if you look closely, you'll see one person in this picture is not giving the Nazi salute. Imagine how much courage it took for this man to not raise his arm. His name, by the way, is August Landmesser, and Mr. Landmesser joined the Nazi party in the Mid-1930s thinking it would help him get a job and it did help him get a job at a shipyard in Hamburg, Germany But by the time this picture was taken late in 1936 He was already starting to see some of the things and personally experience some of the difficulties as a result of the Nazi Party rule and so while everyone else regardless of their convictions and you know there are probably some people in this picture who had different convictions everybody else is raising their arm in Nazi salute but not Mr. Landmesser and I got to thinking this week what would I have done had I been there I would like to think that that I wouldn't buy into the lie I would like to think that that I would I would be different that that I would have the courage to be like Mr. Landmesser, but I really don't know. Mr. Landmesser did not join the crowd. He was living his life, at this point anyway, in a counter-cultural kind of way. And that's what God calls us to do. God calls us to live our lives in a different way. God calls us to make countercultural decisions while we know the culture is going one way. We're called to go in a different way. We're to live distinctive, Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Bible-in-Bible-based kinds of ways. I know I've told you this story before, but it kind of helps me wrap my mind around this idea of a of cultural pressure or a sort of cultural. Um, uh, flow and we're going against that flow probably a lot of you have been to Florida and you've been on vacation in Florida and you've stayed in a condo on the beach I remember one time we stayed in a condo right on the beach and you know how it is in Florida especially in the panhandle you can you can get up early in the morning maybe have coffee enjoy you know the outdoors see the ocean smell smell it's a beautiful thing and then I like to go walking out into the water and you know, especially in, the, in, uh, in Florida, in the Panhandle, you can walk out a long way, and you walk out a while, and the water's up to your knees, and you walk out a little further, and it's up to your waist, and eventually it's up to your chest. And I remember one time just walking straight out toward the horizon. I'm walking straight out from, the, from my condo, and, and I turned and looked around, and suddenly the condo wasn't behind me any longer. Now obviously the condo didn't move, but I moved. And I couldn't even really tell it. The the current was powerful, but in some ways it was imperceptible. I didn't even know, but as I walked, I was being swept along by the current. I was being moved in a certain direction. And it's kind of like that, culturally speaking, in our world today. As God's people, really, we're called on to swim against the current. We're called on to make counter-cultural decisions. And in order to do that, in order to walk in a straight sort of way, we need to keep our eyes focused on a fixed point. And our fixed point is Jesus and His Word. And if we don't have our eyes focused on Jesus and we don't have our, our lives focused, filled up with the Word of God, if we're not careful, we can get swept along by the current because we look around at our world and things are changing all around us, culturally speaking, so quickly. And so it's important for us to be biblically rooted or to use the word in one of the values that we have said is important to us. We want to be people who are Bible-based. And so as we look around at our culture that's changing and morphing all the time, some cultural changes are are good, but others are not so good. Some, Some changes are dangerous, both to us spiritually and culturally. So how do we discern what's right? How do we determine what is the will of God? For instance, when we look at all the changes going on in our world regarding to some things that were settled for us that we understood for a thousand or so, a couple thousand years, suddenly things are changed. How do we we view marriage today? What's right? For thousands of years, we understood marriage as a committed, permanent relationship between one man and one woman. And this really wasn't up for debate until fairly recently when the courts legalized marriage between two men and two women. And now the cultural pull is great. But what is the Christian perspective? You see, it's not what we think or how we feel or even what the Supreme Court says. As followers of Jesus, we have a higher authority. As Christians, we strive to be Bible-based, and so the first question we ask about that issue or hundreds of other issues is, what is the biblical perspective? And so if we're going to be Bible-based, we must let the Word of God frame how we look at certain things. When, When God ordained the first marriage in the book of Genesis, it was between a man and a woman. He made them, in his own image, male and female. And then it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Someone said the command to be fruitful and multiply is the only command of God we've not broken. But the original marriage between a man and a woman was blessed by God. Whenever I'm privileged to do a wedding, I always love to tell the story we find in Genesis chapter 2. Adam finds himself all alone. He names the animals, but nothing would suit him as a companion. And so you know how the story goes. God causes Adam to fall into this deep sleep, and he takes from Adam's side a rib, and God fashioned that rib into a woman and then God serving as the father of the bride, he brings Eve to Adam. And then Adam says, when he looks at her, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. I'm told by people who know a lot about Hebrew and certainly a lot more than me, there's some excitement and, and energy to this statement when it says this at last is. Adam loves what he's experiencing, and he loves what he is seeing. And then we have this description of what marriage is. The next verse it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. What is marriage? It's a man and a woman becoming one flesh. That's, that's how the Bible describes it. But not only do we find that in Genesis, we also find that, find that in the new testament and in the words of jesus jesus affirms marriage as between a man and a woman in john chapter 19 verses 4 through 6 where he says this have you already replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female with this gender binary male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they will, they're no longer two but one flesh Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. According to Genesis and according to Jesus, marriage is the uniting of one flesh, man and woman becoming one flesh, and God blesses that union. And so based on the creation account, based on Jesus' own description and affirmation, and other New Testament passages we could read, Our conviction is that God's vision for marriage is for it to be between a man and a woman. And friends, this is true regardless of the cultural pull, regardless of the cultural pressure. We're we're swimming upstream, but if we wish to be Bible-based, we will be people who will look at, at whatever we're facing through the lens of Scripture. Now, we may think that this cultural pressure is, is unique or maybe new to our time, and while the particulars are quite unique and always changing, living in a culture that doesn't share a biblical worldview is not new. And so the Apostle Paul, as, as Jimmy so uh, uh, said just a few moments ago, is, is in prison, he's near the end of his life, doesn't have a lot of time left, and so he says some things that are important for his young protege Timothy to hear. Here's Timothy, he's working with the church at this point, more than likely still in Ephesus. He's he's working with his young church and and Paul is giving Timothy some insight in what things are like. And as we read these words, especially in 2 Timothy chapter three, there's a sense of urgency to his writing. He says this, but understand this. Here's something Timothy, I want you to get, I want you to hear, understand this that in the last days, there comes times of difficulty. We might think, well, you know, times are hard right now. We're living in difficult times. Paul, as he was writing to his protege, Timothy, he said times were difficult at his time as well, at about AD 67 or or so. Times were difficult at that point. Times are difficult today. And notice he says, he says he, he talks about the last days. Now, we read this passage and think, well, what is he talking about, the last days? Last days means the final epic, the final period, the the last, um, um, uh, you know, there's not going to be another period or another time frame. And so people ask me all the time, are we living in the last days? Now, sometimes they like to ask that question because they think that, that Jesus might be coming back tomorrow, and he could. We don't know. But when Paul here, writing to Timothy, says last days, he's talking about the final period, the final dispensation. And so when people ask me that question, I say, of course we're living in the last days. But Paul's point in 67 A.D. is the same as in 2023 A.D. The world is a hard place. We feel some cultural pull, some cultural pressure. And then he describes what this looks like. And as we read this description, it looks very familiar to us. He says, here's what what things are going to be like. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power we want to say paul how do you really feel yet if we read that list that description would it not also describe our time as well while we're living in difficult times we may wonder so what what's the answer how do we how do we survive as a church Or maybe even, let me make the question more positive, how do we really thrive even in a culture that's more and more becoming, um, that has a different perspective biblically? Well, I think the answer Paul gives us in this particular passage of Scripture down in verse 14, down in verse 14, here's what he says, but as you, here's what I want you to do, I want you to continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you've learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says the answer is, in order to thrive in a culture, in order to thrive in a place that doesn't share the biblical worldview, he says what I want you to do is I want you to remain committed to the word of God. He is saying, I want you to continue notice in what you have learned. What did they learn? They learned the scriptures. And how had Timothy learned these scriptures? Who did he learn them from? We say, well, well, Paul was this huge influence in Timothy's life, and Paul was was Timothy's mentor. Maybe he learned all this from, from Paul, but notice what Paul says about Timothy. You've You've known these things from, notice, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we learn about Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and mother. And so there's a side point here that we dare not miss. As important as preaching is, as important as the church is, as important as youth ministry and children's ministry and young adult ministry and all the ministries we do, as important as all of that is, we need moms and dads. help their kids understand the word of God we need moms and dads who disciple their own children make no mistake about it our kids are being discipled the only question is will our kids be discipled by the world or by the word will our kids be discipled by the Savior or by screens Understand there are powerful messages that are being proclaimed. We need moms and dads who open up the Scripture and share the truth of God's Word with their precious kids. And so what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, I want you to be based in Scripture. That's who we are as a church. You said that's something very important to you, and it is important. It's important that we be a Bible-based church church, that we go to the Word of God to find answers. And so there are two verses that, that Jimmy read just a moment ago that are so very, very important to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I've i I've told you before, these are the first two verses that I ever committed to memory. When I was in a Bible class in the seventh grade and we had a young um, Christian college educated uh, uh, leader of that Bible class, he said, I want y'all to memorize scripture. And I thought that was just outlandish, memorizing scripture. And yet, in the se- I thought, how in the world can you do that? Yet in seventh grade, I memorized 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 70. What a beautiful verse. This verse is, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, for thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice how the word is described It's breathed out by God. Now, some of your translations will use the word inspiration. The Bible is inspired. Paul has a high view of the Bible. This book that you have either on your device or in your lap, this book is unlike any other book. This book is inspired by God. It is God-breathed, literally. And so this word is important for a number of things. Notice this book, he says, is important for a, for a lot of, of, of reasons. Now, there, there, sometimes people want to attack the Word of God, but, but here's really what, what I believe. You see, Satan did not tempt Adam and Eve to murder, steal, and even tell a lie. What did he do? He tempted them to question the Word of God, and yet Paul tells us, tells Timothy, This word is breathed out by God. It is inspired. And because it's inspired, it's incredibly useful. And notice the things that it's useful for. It is useful, first of all, for teaching. Whatever it is we teach, we must first Look for a thus saith the Lord. We must ask, what is the biblical perspective? We start in Genesis and we go through Revelation. We look at all the scripture. We look at what it says about whatever matter we're, we're, um, we are studying. It's not only good for teaching, but number two, it's good for reproof. That is, this word of God it, it exposes our own sin and it exposes our own lies. Because you see, Satan lies to us, and if we're not careful... We're very tempted to believe the lies of Satan. We need to be shown what's not right. This word convicts us and reproves us. But it's also good for correction, number three. This word is not only shows us what's wrong, but this word shows us what's right. It shows us the better way. This word corrects wrong thinking, aberrant teaching, false doctrines. And so we need to... Make sure we're filling our minds and hearts with the word. And, and number four, it's useful for training us in righteousness. At the end of the day, it's not just about knowing what's right, but it's about living what's right. And brothers and sisters, we're not going to live what's right until we're trained by the word of God, until we read the word and think about the word and let the word sink into our heart and memorize the word. Let the word frame how we look. At our world, from time to time, you'll hear that phrase, "My truth, my truth, and your truth." Like truth is this thing that you know you can just you can believe your truth, and I'll believe my truth. And yet, Jesus Himself said in this word, "He is the way, the truth, and the life." And the ultimate result is that we will be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the word eventually does it equips us it's just not about knowing but it's about being equipped and applying all that we read in this book in concrete situations so what matters it matters in this mixed up crazy world that we're bible-based In a world that's constantly changing, we need a a deep commitment to the unchanging Word of God. In a world where the cultural pressures are strong and we're not careful, we can be swept up in those cultural pressures. In a a world like that, we need a, a fixed point. We need an anchor. Here's what we believe. Ultimately, the written Word, the Bible, it points us to the living Word who is Jesus? And Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Who is Jesus? Jesus says I am the way. If you're lost and you don't know which way to go, you follow Jesus. He will lead you in the right way. Let's listen carefully to what Jesus teaches us and how he lives and how he shows us what life's about. Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the truth. Oh, we're tempted to believe Satan's lies. But Jesus speaks the truth. Satan's lies are destructive. Jesus ultimately says, I am the life. You want to know how to live? Listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus. And when you live life according to Jesus, you bring glory to God. And here's the other serendipity. What happens is we also find a life that is fulfilling and rich and blessed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this world where there's a lot of pressure, let's focus on Jesus. Follow him and listen to him. Today, if you have a need, we can help you with. If you're not in Christ if you find yourself far away from him, maybe you've believed a lie, Jesus is the truth. This morning, if, if you would like to respond to him in any way, I'll be down front. We'll have a, a shepherd and wife in the very back. We would love to help you if we can. Come as we stand and as we sing.